0: Hello everyone, Uh, this is Hannah, and welcome to this episode of Remedial Studies. This is episode 4, and we'll be talking about Thor Ragnarok today. We will, of course, be disclosing some spoilers, so you'll either have to have seen the film or not care to. Uh, Rachel is joining me.
1: Yes, I am. I am so excited to do this episode um, because... As I have been blowing up your phone about for the past, like, week and a half, I love this movie, love this movie, and, um, I think we're gonna have a lot of really fun stuff to talk about, some that's kind of sad, like, some that's not so fun in the traditional sense, much like the movie, (laughs) but it is, I think, gonna be a good time today. I'm hoping it's gonna be a good time. Sorry about the sudden scheduling change, by the way, guys. Yeah. 20, (laughs) fuck Searchlight, why are you the way you are? I mean, I guess it makes sense. (laughs) I guess it makes sense only because it is a really like niche movie. I don't know. But Crimson Peak got a wide release. And I'd say that's significantly more niche than Shape of Water would be.
0: To, To be fair, I think Shape of Water did not get a wide release because of how Crimson Peak did at the box office. But
1: that might be fair. That might be very fair. It did
0: not do that well.
1: It didn't, and I feel bad, and I feel like a lot of that had to do with the marketing. I mean, even, like, Guillermo del Toro said that. He's like, it's not a horror movie. Or, like, like it's not a horror movie in the gothic sense.
0: No. It was, I was scared, but I am, I am a baby when it comes to horror movies.
1: I was scared, but in a way that, like, gothic horror and gothic romance tend to be scary. And that it's all very, like insular and like in the mind and the fact that there's only like three actors for most of the movie like it's mostly just edith and then thomas and lucille in that big three-story house that they built they built it on the set but we will do crimson peak it's due in its own episode
0: (laughs) we will restrain ourselves
1: (laughs) we will restrain ourselves for the time being but uh, do you want me to just give a little bit of a brief synopsis of the film so we can give you some context for our inane rambling.
0: Yeah, sure, let's do a little let's do a little baby summary.
1: Okay, so the basic plot of Thor Ragnarok is Thor discovers that Ragnarok, the foretold end of Asgard is coming. In the very beginning of the movie, tries to prevent it, goes back to Asgard and finds that his brother Loki is impersonating their father in order to maintain rule of Asgard. And he's mostly just building statues of himself and watching theater that he probably wrote about himself.
0: Yeah, yeah that's one of the funniest moments in the film is when Thor comes back and, and there's just Loki dying tragically and heroically in his arms. Matt Damon is Loki? <laughs> yes, yes, Matt Damon as Loki.
1: I think it was Matt Damon was Loki and then Chris Hemsworth's brother played Thor. Oh god. I didn't which get that. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, so they they Thor, of course, is very upset about this because he's like, Loki, if again, I thought you were dead. And they go to New York, they meet Dr. Steven Strange, who points them in the direction of their dad, who has essentially gone to Midgard to or has stayed on Midgard to die. And when his his death comes, it it unleashes
0: surprise sibling, the
1: surprise sibling <laughs> Hella, who is played with such fun and joy by Kate Blanchett. Her death, no, excuse me, his death allows her to come, in essence, to the Prime Material plane, is how I saw it. Um, and, but she, he confesses to Thor and Loki that she she is his firstborn, their older sister. That he has kept from them their entire lives. And what follows is her trying to reclaim this throne, but no one has ever heard of her or remembers her. And Thor and Loki going on an intergalactic road trip, essentially, where they get abandoned on this trash planet that Jeff Goldblum rules. And Thor (laughs) is trapped in a gladiatorial style system of slavery, essentially, um, with the Hulk. And they meet Valkyrie the bossest ass bitch in the MCU. Yes. <laughs> and then they escape the trash planet. They escape the trash planet through the devil's anus. After some hijinks. <laughs> After so many hijinks. And they find their way back to Asgard, where now that Thor and Loki and Valkyrie and Hulk have this broader context of their own situation to look back on, figure out that Preventing Ragnarok was never the solution. They intend they instead cause Ragnarok. And the being who comes out of that action um, defeats Hela and destroys Asgard.
0: Yes, because Asgard is how Hela gets her powers. Yes. So, oh, so many things about that ending. Yeah,
1: so many things about that ending, which I'm sure we'll dive into really, really just way too deep. But I did, overall thoughts, I really liked this movie.
0: It was fun. It was fun.
1: It was fun. And I think, I I, I don't remember exactly when I checked it, but I checked, like, I don't know why I do this, because it's like checking YouTube comments, but I checked, like, (laughs) the IMDb reviews, and the top one was a 10 out of 10. And it was basically saying, you know, we, we as a society need to stop thinking that fun is a dirty word. Yes. (laughs) When it comes to cinema and films and stuff like that. Like, I think that's completely true because you can have a movie that has something to say, but is still really just fun to watch. Like, And I think a lot of that, and I know some stuff has been made about this, even when the trailers came out, so much of the Marvel movies have, have sort of been scaled back as far as color. Like, they're mm-hmm. kind of bland. They're kind of grim, dark in a way. And then you have this movie that just punches you in the face.
0: Yeah. With how bright
1: and shiny and colorful it is.
0: It's very 80s in both its sound and its aesthetic mm-hmm. and its color palette and its textures. Is that even a thing? No, like I think that
1: makes it, sense.
0: Can you have 80s textures? Even the costuming choices and I don't know. Yeah, it's just a lot more it is a lot more fun than a lot of the other Marvel movies have been.
1: Right. Because I I think the MCU was kind of starting to stagnate a little bit.
0: Oh yeah. I mean did you see the parody of the trailer that was yes. like creepy children singing cut to dramatic and then like it was like oh this is every marvel trailer
1: first of all you can just you can say age of ultron like we all know um but it is like kind of every every trailer for the mcu kind of ever and and i think i i chalk a lot of the creative things that were done in this film to the director taika waititi and Letting Chris Hemsworth. It sounds like Chris Hemsworth actually had a lot more control, creatively, as far as like the character than he's had in any other film.
0: Do you want to say your hashtag?
1: Hashtag let Chris Hemsworth be funny. Yes, yeah, I have been on this this mission for literal <laughs> years, and it has finally come to fruition. And like, I am overjoyed because he is funny.
0: Yeah, he's a very funny, charming guy. It's he's not just back muscles. He's He's a, he's, real human he's, be- being.
1: <laughs> he's a real human being and a real hero. It is delightful to me that that we have been given an opportunity and that like the creative team on this movie was given the opportunity to sort of do something new. Because that was what a lot of complaints I've seen about like a lot of the DC Extended Universe have kind of come into play now. Where it's like you're not learning from the things you're doing wrong or things that people aren't responding to. I don't want to say I didn't like Civil War, because I don't think that's true. I did like Captain America Civil War, but it was so a kind of exposition heavy. It it didn't embrace the kind of ridiculousness of the premise, which kind of culminated in a fight of like 12 people fighting in an airport parking lot. Yeah. (laughs) Uh... And I know a lot of what happened in Civil War is meant to be establishing. um, We're all kind of gearing up for Infinity War and and all that fun stuff. And like they did a lot of that in event in like the movies leading up to Avengers and like like that's not a crime. But I think when you kind of have your eyes set so far ahead like because Infinity War is obviously going to be a big culmination of a lot of things that have happened in the MCU when when you're trying to be like, "Oh, we just need to get there." I think that's when you can kind of let things go mm-hmm. that shouldn't get let go in some movies. And I think the real, the two movies I point to in the MCU that are sort of the antith- antithesis of that are this movie, so Ragnarok, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy really enlivened the MCU, I think, for a lot of people, because they got to take the chance on something that people probably wouldn't know about.
0: Yes. And I think also those movies are, a lot, especially the second one and why they appeal to me is um, they, I don't know, they embrace some really old classic sci-fi tropes in a way that I don't think we do as much now as we did in like the earlier ages of sci-fi. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that.
1: No, I think, I, I think I'd agree with that, especially with Guardians, which is still, like, it has infinite re- rewatchableness to me, which yes. is part of the reasons. One of the things I use to judge how good a movie is, like, for, for context, I saw this movie three times in a week because I liked it so much. To be fair, I saw it with different people, but, like, mm-hmm. I went once with my mom, I went once with my mom and my dad. Well, no, my dad didn't go. I saw it twice with my mom. <laughs> and I saw it once with um, one of our mutual friends. And I enjoyed it just as much every time I saw it.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of, I saw it the one time, but I'm not a big um Are you not a big rewatcher? I'm I'm not a big rewatcher or a big uh re reader. Like I see it once and I'm like done. So that can be problematic. But Thor, it was really, it was really fun. My boyfriend, for context, is a huge Thor fan. And he is also a huge fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general. So we go see every single MCU film together, except Ant-Man, which he's never forgiven me for. Because I'm like, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna go see Ant-Man. I'm, I'm superheroed out. I think this movie did relieve my superhero fatigue.
1: It refreshed me. I feel refreshed. I think that might be a, a, the best and most apt description for it. It 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 is like an injection of adrenaline into the MCU where it, 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 it just focused on being a good movie. Not being a good, not necessarily a good Thor movie or being a good MCU movie. It's like, let's just make a good movie and trust that it's going to fit in to what everything needs to be, which I think it does.
0: Yes, it's wonderful. It references back. You know, it sets up mm-hmm. some stuff for the future. But it still manages to be its own. It can stand on its own.
1: I think it was really good at doing the thing where it was inviting enough to new people that it wasn't really intimidating. And you still got some of those callbacks and those references to the original movies um, or the prior movies. One of which, um, my favorite, was when Hella shows up. And she tells Loki to kneel and he's basically like, I beg your pardon, bitch. (laughs) No, that is my line. That is what I say. Who the fuck are you?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think my favorite is Loki's fear of the of the Hulk.
1: Oh, my God. Yes. I just love that he shows up and like Loki immediately is like, I need to get off this planet.
0: Like, I can't be here.
1: <laughs> I can't be here. Fuck, like, everyone else here. Fuck you, Jeff Goldblum. Fuck you, Chris Hemsworth. I need to leave. I need to get out of this building immediately. Yes,
0: that was that was really lovely. Just that, that fear response brought joy to my heart. The gladiator parts were probably my favorite. I could probably watch three movies about that. And also Taika Waititi
1: playing Korg. Korg. Oh my god. He was so funny. He was, yeah. And I think part of it is because he has that tiny little voice in that big hulking body. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wa- I've watched a really fun interview with him. He was on a radio show. It was a U- British radio show. But one of the producers was Australian. And mm-hmm. he was talking about how he was speaking with her before the show. And how... She was talking about how nobody else thought the accent was as funny because they didn't know that that's apparently, like, a really rural, like, New Zealand accent. Like, it would be our... I want to say it would be our... Like, you know how people from, like, Minnesota and, like, North and South Dakota sound like they're Canadian? Yes. I feel like that's the American equivalency. (laughs) Which is adorable. But I, I loved Korg. I loved how he was very sweet and very gentle. I loved the sneaky, the super sneak rock, paper, scissors jokes that kept coming up.
0: I didn't catch those in film. I saw like an article or a Tumblr post later. I it was did like, as well. I'm so mad.
1: I know. I saw this. it like between viewings and then I looked for it the next time I saw it. And I was just like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> like, because there's the whole thing about his revolution is killed by pamphlets and paper covers rock.
0: Yeah, he didn't print enough pamphlets.
1: Didn't print enough pamphlets, so only his mom and her boyfriend that he hates shows up. It's just little lines like that in the mm-hmm. whole movie that come from... I, I know he really encouraged people to improvise, when appropriate, of course. <laughs> I I do think... I don't think the man is, like, lawless. He's definitely chaotic neutral, but, like, he... <laughs> I, I want to think he, he's like, guys, can we please stay on the, the base story? And then everything that kind of fills in is like cream cheese.
0: Did you see, there's a Tumblr post talking about, I don't know if this is true. I hope so. But apparently during filming, his joke would be that he would pretend like he didn't know his mic was live and then would complain about Chris Hemsworth and say things like, oh, we should have gotten one of the other Chris's, Chris Pine. (laughs) chris that other one anyone but Hemsworth, and they'd be like oh oh i'm sorry i didn't realize my mic was on and apparently that kept (laughs) happening
1: oh man apparently they're like really good friends in real life and like chris was part of the reason he got that job
0: oh really interesting
1: like obviously like the the pitch he he gave was good enough to stand on its own but it never hurts to have somebody throw in throw in your name especially
0: the you know the star of the franchise
1: yeah the star of the franchise but i remember he uh, i think it was in that same interview he was talking about the original like pitch film that he submitted to marvel there was no story yet but it was just like he edited together a whole bunch of films interspersed with like marvel footage set to led zeppelin's immigrant song and was like this is the vibe i want to go with (laughs) and then they gave him the movie There was one last thing, like a general thought that I wanted to talk about. As most things, some of my thoughts come from seeing salty people in in Tumblr tags. And it was somebody... I remember because it was a similar thing people were upset about when uh, The Force Awakens came out. And Rey beat Kylo in that big final lightsaber scene. And people were like, oh, well, how can she defeat him and blah, blah, blah. And there's the whole scene with Valkyrie where she beats Loki's ass and people were like weirdly mad about it like obviously it was a small group of people but i'm like hey guys sometimes women are better at things also she's like a warrior princess goddess person
0: yeah and and loki is a sneaky sneak like he's a sneak sneak he's not a fighty fighty
1: we've talked about this she's the paladin he's the rogue
0: Yes, we have to bring up D and D, or it's not a complete remedial studies. Or contractually
1: obligated.
0: Anyway, what were we talking about? Thor. <laughs> we're talking to bring about. Bring it Thor. back around.
1: I think the big thing that I want to talk about, the big, like serious thing I want to talk about, that a lot of people have touched on across this wide expanse of the internet, is how the movie handles topics like imperialism and colonialism and the effects both of those things have on the perpetrators and the victims both on asgard and on sakar and 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 the thing that really got me thinking about it even though the whole like looking back on i'm like the whole movie's about this rachel Well, the thing that got me thinking about it was the scene where the grandmaster is walking and it's and it's right after korg is like the revolution has begun And his um, assistant is saying, you know, oh, the – she says, like, the slaves have escaped. Uh And the Grandmaster looks at her and goes, I don't like that word. I don't like that word. And she's just like, the prisoners with jobs. (laughs) Like, it's not subtle.
0: No, I mean – I mean, for the most unsubtle moment, when when Thor goes to confront Hela and she has – she has torn down – the mural of the happy mm-hmm. happy family in the idyllic Asgardian paradise. And it's yeah. just her and Odin, like, destroying everything. And she says, and everyone points to this moment as, like, the key. Like, this is obviously about imperialism. She She says something, like, proud that you have it, but ashamed of how you got
1: it. Yes, I remember that moment, and it was like like the follow up to it where he Thor is like sitting on the throne, mm-hmm. and she says, "Where do you think all this gold came from?"
0: Yeah, which is like old school
1: imperialism. Yeah, old 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 as balls. I I think a lot of her stuff, the first kind of act of her character arc where she is essentially picks up Scourge and, like, goes through Asgard. And she has that whole bit in front of the the guard. And she's like, it's come to my attention that you don't know who I am. (laughs) And that whole sequence of her being like, does no one know who I am? Has no one been taught our history? And that, again, is really, it's on the nose, but in a good way. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, that's very much like my own experience of learning, like American history. Like they slowly reveal
1: to you over time. Yeah, because I, I never knew anything. They didn't really teach us anything in school, and we don't even live in that conservative of a state, or at least I didn't. I'd like of that conservative of a school system. Excuse me. Uh huh. Of people who. Like, we were never taught about anything about, like, President Andrew Jackson and, like, the genocide of Native Americans and, like, what the Trail of Tears was really about and how Native American children were sent to boarding schools and, like, beaten if they tried to speak their own language uh-huh. and, like, and all this stuff because they don't tell you. Yeah. Because they, because they, fig- they say they, the almighty they, but, like, it is supposed, I guess, that if, if you're if it's not taught, it'll go away. Mm-hmm. and i remember my mother is not an american citizen she's british
0: oh boy <laughs> born, and
1: ra- born and raised in um in sheffield england and i remember asking her one time you know i i think obviously the big hot button ticket in america is slavery mm-hmm. and i think over there i asked you know does british imperialism carry that same kind of weight and she said a lot of it again kind of like here a lot of it's very generational
0: Mm.
1: where like my grandfather my mother's father will swear up and down that they they were just helping india
0: (laughs) yeah about he's also
1: like in his 80s yeah Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: you know we we know better now well i would hope we know better now and because i remember the joke um that came out for brexit was <laughs> billions of people just found out you can make england go away by voting but i i found looking at that kind of history interesting because taika waititi is uh-huh. from new zealand yes and he's um maori which mm-hmm. is the indigenous people of new zealand um another island where people the english kind of showed up and said they live there now they started with australia and just worked their way down and his mother is Russian-Jewish. Mm, mm-hmm. So he ha- he is that wonderful one-two punch of culture of sort of the diaspora of the Jewish experience. And, and like, how do you deal with the fact that there's still people kind of in your land? There was this whole thing where it was an, a New Zealand newscaster who was uh, doing like a morning show. And they had opened up this post to comments on their Facebook. And it was about like the native maury people of that area of new zealand were talking about it was something so innocuous too it was like something to do with voting rights or opening a school or something just run-of-the-mill stuff and these people were getting so angry these white people were getting so mad and one woman commented well why don't they just get their own island oh honey this guy went off and it was beautiful. And he basically just said they had their own island, Helen. Helen! It's always Helen. And then we took it. Like, we're sitting on it right now. Like, get your head out of your ass. I find the different interpretations of that kind of model on Sakar and on Asgard to be interesting because Asgard are very much the aggressors. Regardless of whether the individual people who are, in essence, almost exterminated by Hela's rampage are purposefully perpetuating that system, like, they all benefit from it. And in order for them to kind of start over, Asgard literally has to explode and, like, burn to the ground and stop being a place and start being its people.
0: Yes, because it was interesting that Hela's power came from Asgard, so they had to dismantle... The the entire system had to be dismantled in order for it to not be a problem. And I think that's something... I was reading a lot of articles about the imperialism in Thor. A lot of people have hot takes, some of them more insightful than others. But that was something <laughs> the, a writer on the Mary Sue had brought up. That the destruction of Asgard is you have to take this whole shebang and burn it to the ground and start over if you're going to be free of of those nasty, of that nasty history and, and all of that. Yeah,
1: because cause a big part of, like, the visual drama of Hela taking over Asgard is that that the stuff that she did and the stuff Odin did never went away. It was just covered up. And obviously that didn't stop her and that didn't stop everything that happened. She's an interesting character to me because she, kind of going with the simplicity theme that this movie kind of has, the simplicity of plot being one of them, she has a very simple reason to do what she does. And that's because she thinks she deserves it.
0: Yeah, that's basically, that's basically it.
1: She's like, I can take it. So I will.
0: That's a classic. I'm doing this because I can, because I deserve all these things. Why stop at Nine Realms when I could have them all? Exactly. I think, was that in the Mary Sue article too? I don't know. That was from
1: somewhere. To tie back to why Asgard had to be destroyed. They were never going to get anywhere by building on top of everything. Right. And that's kind of poked fun at, I think, a little bit in Korg's final comments as they fly away um, on the spaceship. That they commandeered from the Grand Master, where he's like, you know, we can rebuild this place if the foundations are still strong and it'll be a haven. And as much as that is a beautiful dream, I think the reason Asgard has to implode is because it is ultimately not true.
0: I think that it's interesting, too, because in a in a weird way, like, they have become refugees. Like, they really are. They're, they are adrift, literally adrift in the universe. And don't they, do they come up across a giant spaceship or am I, like, conf-
1: I believe it's Thanos' spaceship. Another thing I wanted to talk about, to kind of bring up a a thing that we talked about briefly last week, in the context of this, is how much character assassination was undone by this movie, particularly in regards to Loki. I'm not opposed entirely to the josh whedon avengers loki even though he is kind of a fascist which is weird for the god of chaos but like (laughs) well god of mischief but he's definitely chaotic in dark world he was kind of all over the place i mean i still enjoyed it tom hendleston did what he could with the script he was given which is all anybody can do he's a great actor yeah i agree i'll leave it at that because i'll just go on for 10 minutes he fucking dragged me back into this Loki pit like it's 2012. I know. I'm pissed in about it. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, why I was free? Why did and you do this to me? He shows up in a suit in Norway. To, to dovetail into something else, one thing that I really, really did think was the linchpin that made the movie work: how much they let Loki and Thor just be brothers. Oh my god! Like because the one comment. Where they're on Earth, and it does like the montage to the Shady Acres retirement home. And he's like, Well, I can't see into the future. I'm not a witch. And Loki, Thor's like, Then why are you dressed like one? <laughs> and I just snorted so loud in the movie theater, and it was just great. But like Loki immediately being like, I've never met this man before in my life. Yeah. A mood. Uh... Thor's whole thing where he electrocuted him. Yes. And he was like th- like thrashing on the ground and he's giving him like this life advice <laughs> lecture.
0: Yeah, that whole scene in, they're in like an elevator. Yes. Thor is like giving like some kind of heartfelt monologue that I think is a little bit like meant to manipulate Loki's emotions. And then like Loki's oh, making those yes. faces. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah,
1: Tom Hiddleston's face is doing the thing. <laughs> it's so like, it reminded me so much of like reverse psychology. Where Thor's like, I'm going to agree with you and be like, yes, this is exactly what you need to do so that you will do the opposite of A it.
0: classic sibling technique.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then it's like, it's called get help. Those like 20 seconds of dialogue just tell so much about them mm-hmm. as siblings. And the fact that the whole plan is he just throws Loki at a group of people and hopes for the best. Just like this bitch empty. Yeet.
0: Their dynamic in this movie is is great and i feel like it was not that great and the one with the
1: elves and the red stuff dark world yeah yeah because dark world was a little bit all over the place it it was trying to make conflict or artificially like a lot of that with like i really didn't like how friga died Mm -hmm. because i'm like women don't need to die for men to fucking evolve but that's just me apparently I think it's kind of easy to forget, because obviously Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston are not that old. They're both in, like, their mid-30s. These people are old, and they've known each other for, like, their entire lives. So it makes sense, it makes more sense to me for them to have a dynamic, like we see in Ragnarok, than, like, the weirdly, like, macho antagonistic thing that was going on in Dark World. Yeah. But I I like, like, how off the bat, because the end of Dark World very much insinuated that Loki just fucking shafted Odin. And, like, buried him under the floorboards or something?
0: Yeah, it did. It was like, okay, I'm like, well, Odin's dead. Yeah, I was like,
1: cool, Odin's dead. We're gonna have to deal with that. And then, like, the end scene of Doctor Strange came out with Thor, which is in the film, where he's like, oh, we're looking for our father. And I'm like, okay, so he's not dead? <laughs> and and I like how, it like, immediately in the beginning of the movie, where, like, Thor does not in any way think he has killed Odin. He's just like, what did you do? What did you do, you little shit? Like, I don't (laughs) understand. Speaking of which, masterful performance by Sir Anthony Hopkins in the beginning (laughs) of this movie. Acting as Tom Hiddleston, as Loki, as Odin. Yeah. I do very much enjoy, as far as the costuming is concerned, I love the amount of capes.
0: Uh, The capes and the tasteful, like, face paint?
1: Yes, I loved the face paint. I loved Jeff Goldblum. I just loved his whole everything. Did they give him a script? Probably not. <laughs> they were just like, here, Jeff, this is the vague idea of your character. Just be you. Do you.
0: I saw an interview where they were saying that Jeff Goldblum was just Jeff Goldblum in this movie. Yeah, it was in like, all the
1: interviews, they don't call him the Grandmaster. They just say Jeff Goldblum.
0: Yeah, he's like, we got Jeff Goldblum number 34. Can we talk about the... I want to I bring in just very briefly... I think this was mentioned in an article on Mm tour.com, but like the slight feminist undertones, I don't think the feminism like beats you in the face in this movie necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like it's nice to have competent, diverse female characters. Yes. We get that the villain is female and we also get a secondary character
1: who is a woman. Which is more than we get in some Marvel movies. (sighs)
0: <sighs> yes, like finally, we are getting. Have there been any other women as villains in Marvel movies?
1: Not that I'm remembering, off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm like scrolling through the list, and I think they're all pretty. They're all dudes. Yeah, there are a lot of guys, so it's kind of nice to have a female villain
1: mm-hmm.
0: who is super effective. Mm-hmm. Like she's she's frighteningly effective. Like, they cannot fight her directly. She is too powerful. Like, they have to destroy their entire realm in order to defeat her. Like, that level of sacrifice is required.
1: She was a competent female villain. I enjoyed that. I very much enjoyed that. I also enjoyed, and this has kind of become more of a thing, I think, like, this movie, like, with Jeff Goldblum and Kate Blanchett really kind of cemented it. They get... Like, really famous people to be in these movies. Yeah. And they they just look like they're having so much fun.
0: This was a fun role to see Kate Blanchett in because she's, like,
1: a very, I don't know. She's, like, an Academy Award winning actress. Like, she's very competent in Mm -hmm. her dramatic fields. But sometimes I feel like you don't want everything to be, like, super serious all the time. I wouldn't want to if I was an actor.
0: No. No, I would be bored. I think I would prefer to do movies like this as opposed to like what serious movies is kate blanchett in
1: the one i always remember her from she was in she was katherine hepburn in the aviator yeah
0: i'm not i'm not as familiar with her uh oeuvre i mean she is she
1: will always be G- galadriel of course
0: yeah that's how i always kind of picture her so it's fun to see her as as beautiful but terrifying Again, mm-hmm. she—they didn't make her too sexy, which I appreciated. Like she right. was still, she was still sexy, but not like too sexy. Because I looked at some of the comics, uh, depictions of her in the comics, and I was not pleased. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of. Tiny
1: underwear costumes. Yeah, like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Like, I get that she's a goddess and she can do whatever the fuck she wants, but, like, why would you want to do that? That's We could do a whole episode about that, about how that's how, like, male artists make excuses for what they put their female characters in. Where they're like, oh, well, what if she would want to wear that? I'm like, but she doesn't. You do.
0: Not all of them. Not all of them. Possibly want to dress like that.
1: Because I will say, I didn't see with, like, Valkyrie and Hela... I didn't mm-hmm. see a lot of capital M, capital G male gaze.
0: I know. I was really excited by that.
1: Refreshed. I was very yes. refreshed by that.
0: Yeah, like her final armor that, like, does Thor give her that?
1: I yeah, think th- so. Uh, like, yeah, Thor says, like, oh, I found this in the armory. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Honeyboo, you went and you looked for it. It's okay.
0: And it's very practical.
1: Mm -hmm. It covers all your exposed areas, but it still looks like it's easier to it's easy to move in, like it's extra reinforced where you would think it would need to be like it was very, very competent female armor that was obviously still very stylized. But like, what isn't it's a superhero movie?
0: Yeah, but not but not in a sexy way. Exactly. I think something else that somebody had pointed out was that the Scrapper Valkyrie has a very traditionally male backstory.
1: She does.
0: She basically has PTSD mm-hmm. from war. Yeah. And then she runs
1: off and is super drunk and kind of a mercenary. Yeah, she just, she sells people out at the edge of the universe and tries to drink her past away.
0: Yeah, and then she, like, has her redemption arc, essentially. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I think that's a very – I'm trying to think of where I've seen that, but I feel like I've seen that.
1: Yeah, obviously not often enough that we could name it off the top of our heads, but I didn't think about that. That's a very good point, is that she is given a very male-coded kind of backstory. My my ending kind of thoughts with the movie – and why I liked it as much as I did is that it, it, it goes back a little bit to what we were talking about last week with with subversion, deconstruction, reconstruction, things like that. Where it takes the existing world of the Thor franchise and releases its characters from it, essentially. <laughs> like, like as much as I really did genuinely enjoy the first Thor movie and how it is very, it's very Kenneth Branagh. Kind of like how, like, The Dark Knight isn't really a Batman movie. It's a Christopher Nolan movie. I really think of (laughs) Thor as, like, a Kenneth Branagh movie. Where it's very Shakespearean. It's very, like, interpersonal conflict being escalated to intergalactic conflict. Like, the first movie is really about Thor and Loki and their relationship to each other and their relationship to their father. And that's kind of reflected in this movie Not as dramatically, I don't think, but, like, I was really affected, probably, again, because Tom Hiddleston is a very good actor, who knows how to make his face do shit that makes me feel things, and (laughs) there's that moment when they're talking to Odin on the cliff, and he, like, keeps calling them, like, my sons, like, he's not just talking, like, he's, Mm -hmm. like, he has accepted Loki back into his family, and, like, Mm -hmm. his face, when he says that, like, really got me.
0: Yeah. That's a very, I got pretty misty uh, during that particular scene.
1: Yeah, and it, and it, it so it, it, it helps to kind of bring back what the original story was all about, which was about family and how you deal with what the family you've got. I mean, at some point, the moral of this movie was friendship is magic, which is the opposite of Civil War. That cold open for the whole movie <laughs> yeah. was brilliant. And I saw a great comment, I think it was in the Polygon review of this movie, the The person who was reviewing it said, that cold open did more to establish a tone than some movies can do in a whole film.
0: And I like that, I think cheeky is a good word to describe the movie as a whole. I think
1: so too, and I think it's because Taika Waititi in his real life is like that, like he just, to me, seems like he takes so much joy in everything that he does I like his movies for a lot of the same reasons I like Guillermo del Toro's movies. Because he is very purposeful and he creates with joy.
0: And exuberance. It's exuberance. Exuberance is, is
1: a great word for, for everything that he does. I mean, like, uh, if we if we want to do, like, recommended viewing, his mockumentary that he directed with um, Jermaine Clement, What We Do in the Shadows, hilarious. It's a great movie. Everybody talks about it when they talk about him because it is a great movie.
0: I was reminded a little bit, in a weird way, of of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And maybe it's just because I'm still on my night's <laughs> kick, but like taking the genre and maybe just massaging it a little bit to just be funny, to be allowed to be funny. Yes,
1: that's that's good, because I think that was a lot of what what did not go very well in Dark World is it was very serious and like that's not bad necessarily, but it. It was like, just fucking tell the joke, please.
0: I don't know. It's like humor
1: is so underrated right now. A couple other recommendations um, that I just thought of. Two comic book series that Marvel does that um, if you're like me and you originally went to this just for Loki, I would definitely recommend (laughs) Young Avengers, which is pretty amazing. And then I believe he gets his own series Loki, Agent of Asgard, which I read I read the first volume of and it was very good. So if you're more into comics, if you want to stay within the Thor thing, I recommend that Thor, Goddess of Thunder is really good. I remember how pissed people were when that came out.
0: I was delighted. That was the best thing that had happened to comics in living that memory.
1: summer, <laughs> that was announced and that Sam Wilson was going to be Captain America.
0: Yeah, and then didn't we get a Hispanic Spider-Man and people like my, my, uh,
1: Miles Morales? Yeah, he's black.
0: Okay, I thought they—I don't know—maybe I had seen something else about him being Hispanic. I mean, he else, very well could but, be. Like, you people... can't. I
1: mean, they're not mutually exclusive.
0: That's that's true.
1: They had a really good. That's also really. I think it's like the. Oh, it's not the Amazing Spider. It's, it's something, something Spider-Man, but Miles Morales. That series of comics, I. I asked for all of, for all of them for Christmas a couple of years ago, and I burned through them, and they were so good. And it it is it, it really does fill out that whole how how a story can be as just as much, if not more, impactful if looked at from a not white dude perspective.
0: Well, right, because that that perspective has been thoroughly explored. it really has
1: a- any perspective. That It's like I saw a great discussion on Tumblr. It was a big, long Tumblr post the other day that was about like Lord of the Flies and the Stanford Prison Experiment and how like these things that are seen as, or they're seen as universal really aren't because we see white male as the default. And, and I think what's very exciting and what people have been starting to do in comics, not just in Marvel, but at, um, I know Wicked and the Divine does it, Image Comics, Boom Comics, like all of these really awesome publishers are looking at that default and being like, well, why are we sticking to it?
0: I think that's kind of why Thor Ragnarok is so, so good. It's because we have a unique
1: perspective that we haven't seen eight million times i agree with that and and i've and i really think the biggest juxtaposition it has is probably civil war because civil war it is very intricate and it's very exposition heavy and it's very complicated and there's a big cast and the story is kind of weird and then you get it's very it's very Watchmen throwing it out there but like we've already done Watchmen, (laughs) you don't need to redo it and then you get to this movie, and it's like we talked about at the beginning, paring it down to the simplest form of the story, which is, in essence, a road trip.
0: It is trying to get, as you said in our production meeting, it's a movie about a dude it really trying is, to get back home. He's got to
1: drag his little piece of shit brother, the drunk lady they've run into, and a friend who just needs to go <laughs> home. And that's it. it. Yeah, and, it, and I think it's like, by, by just making it about that, and making it about Thor, you're able to kind of make him a lot more relatable. And you're able like 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 there's no character in this movie that like they're they're so good. The writing and like the improvisation happened is so tight that you know exactly who everybody is, and you know their story, and you know where they're coming from within like a scene, which is the ideal. <laughs> like some like and it's it goes back to that cold open where it's like, oh, I know what this movie is going to be like.
0: I think it's an example of how economical storytelling is often the most effective storytelling.
1: Um, And that's going to wrap us up for episode four of the Remedial Studies podcast. We thank you, as always, for joining us this week as we discuss um, the newest Marvel film, Thor Ragnarok. If you would like to get in touch with us on any of our various and sundry social medias, we are at Remedial Studies on Twitter. We are remedialstudiespodcast.tumblr.com. Um, we are available um, for messaging in either of those places or for any interaction. We are so thirsty for it. Please, people, don't be bots. If you'd like to send us an email, we are available at RemedialStudiesPodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. All one word, no underscores, no dots, no nothing. We are available for download on Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes. Um, You can just follow our RSS feed and that will tell you when we have an update. And you can download the episode. We usually cross post on Tumblr um, and Twitter. So if you're not, if you don't have like a podcast directory you like, you can find us on there. Our next episode is going to be out on the 26th, the day after Christmas. Um, But it is going to be a year in review for um, the media we've consumed. Not a year in review of the show. We haven't done it for a year yet. Um, But we're both going to be picking uh, five different things that we've really, really loved this year. And we're going to talk about them. And it's kind of, kind of be like a regular show, but more rapid fire. Or we will try to be rapid fire. Um, For those of you who've been with us since the beginning. No promises we tried to have a rapid fire round in the house of leaves episode and it lasted for 25 minutes talking about two things so we shall see (laughs) but yeah if you uh have any questions comments concerns general fangirly squeeze um were you also hurt by tom hiddleston's face in this movie let me know i'm always ready to shout about it um you can reach us at any of those places um we will see you guys on the 26th Um, have a very happy holiday season. I know, um, Hanukkah starts on the 13th. Um, so I hope you get everything your heart desires this holiday season. And, uh, we will see you guys on Boxing Day.